Come on, man. Don't worry. Be happy. That's a good move. Pretty chill. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Somebody wants to stand up with me, don't you? Come on, go ahead, stand up. Let's get jiggy. Come on. Be happy. Come on, get, get your happy on. In every life we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Some of you danced a lot harder than this at the club last night. So come on, get up. Let's go. Come on. Don't worry. Be happy. Be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Want to come bust out a move for us up here, anybody? Don't okay, worry. too much. Too soon. Be happy. Great message. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. All right. That's probably enough of that. All right. There we go. The landlord said. 1988, Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Sometime in the early 2000, it uh, switched over to Big Mouth Billy Bass. How many of you had one of those rubber fish that was motion activated? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You still got it? Still got it. I'm not surprised, Doug. Don't worry. Scares the bejeebers out of you in the middle of the night, though, when you go in the bathroom, as you like walking down the hallway and it starts in. It'll... I used to have one. Karen threw it away when we moved. <laughs> At least it got lost in the move. I was watching the video from that, the music video when that came out. And <laughs> Bobby McFerrin and Bill Irwin, and it also had Robin Williams in it. I know, which is such a tragic irony right now, isn't it? Because I'm still kind of broken up over that. But that, you know, 30 years ago he was singing... So happy, don't worry, be happy. And he could never find that. He never found it. Well, the sentiment of this song is don't worry because worrying doesn't make anything any better. Yeah? According to WebMD, which is, this, which is second, only second in internet reliability only to the infallible Wikipedia, <laughs> chronic worrying can produce a stress disorder that will result in a number of predictable physical maladies, including suppression of the immune system, <coughs> digestive disorders, muscle tension, short-term memory loss. You got that one, Lee? Good. Premature coronary artery disease and heart attack. I'm so glad that WebMD was able to warn us against the dangers of chronic worry only about 2,000 years after Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell them not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lord, we come to you this morning, you know, just knowing that your word is life to us. And so we invite you to come in this time that we have just felt led to set aside to let your word speak to us. Lord, you said these words so long ago, but we know we were in your eyes when you said them. And so we invite your Holy Spirit to come and bless and show us the truth. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to do that. We thank you for this church, a place like this where we can be ourselves and find our way. And we thank you, Father, for all the blessings that you have poured out in this place. I thank you, Father, for the teachers uh, from children's ministry who taught last quarter, and they're back in the big room today. And I thank you for them, Lord, and I pray you'll bless them for their ministry and uh, just pour your, your spirit out on them in refreshing ways today. And we thank you for the new round of teachers back there today, Lord, and ask your blessing on them and their classes. But we're so grateful for everything that you give us, Lord, and, and we invite you to come and, uh, and speak to us. Each person, each man, woman, and young person in this room right now would hear some timely word from you, not from me, Lord, but that you would bless them with a knowledge and uh, the, uh, the awareness of your presence, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount, we're into the last passage in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6 today. And Jesus makes an audacious request of his listeners where he just says, Don't worry. Don't worry. Now think about the people to whom he was speaking. First of all, he had 12 disciples who were seated around him, standing around him as he was seated. And these guys had left everything to follow him. They had no real visible means of support. They had no financial plan. Uh, They lived day to day. And he says to them, don't worry. I got this. Don't worry about what we're going to eat. Don't worry about what we're going to drink. Don't worry about what we're going to wear. I've got this. But beyond that, there would have been a multitude of people, the majority of whom would have been the poor, and very poor. Because these were people who wouldn't have had the opportunity to go hang out with a real rabbi. They had to settle for Jesus. They had to settle for Jesus because he was focused on being with the poor. And so, to all these people, all these people would be saying, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about... These dynamics in your life, because I've got this. I've got this. And keep in mind, he wasn't talking to a group of people who, you know, had the opportunity to go on unemployment or sign up for food stamps or maybe even search for another job. He was talking to people who, who were poor and often 
often relied on the generosity of somebody to look their way. And he said, don't worry about that. Because when you worry about that, he's saying, something bad happens. So he says, don't worry about it. What an audacious demand to make of parents who have little children there. And they're wondering how they're going to feed them tomorrow. He says, don't worry about it. Don't worry. I have something better. Are there any worriers in the room, by show of hands? Oh, my goodness. Oh, Lord, we've got our work cut out for us this morning. (laughs) Some of you who maybe worry so much that it's such a part of the very fabric of the way you think that it would be difficult for you to imagine a version of yourself that didn't worry. And to you, Jesus comes and says, don't worry. Don't worry. Because when you worry, something bad happens. And he says, I've got a better way. So how do I get out of my habit of excessive worry? Well, uh, listen to me, let's, let's hit the word. See what it says, all right? Jesus gives us the key to getting out of a habit of excessive worry in the first word of the passage, where he says, therefore, whenever we read the Bible and we encounter a therefore, we stop to see what it's there for. It's not just an extra little link word. It means stop. Before you move on, stop. And look back over your shoulder to what was just said. Because in reality, you will never begin to understand the passage that starts with therefore until you figure out what it's there for. That's called context. Therefore, I tell you, well, what did he just finish talking about? Well, it was two weeks ago that we looked at this previous passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal. He said you can't serve two masters, God and money. He said you're going to love one and hate the other. They're incompatible. He said you can't serve two masters. And he says for where your treasure is, Whether you treasure money or treasure God, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and you only have one heart to give to a master. So the implication there is Jesus is calling us to say, give your heart to God. You can't serve both God and money. You can't do both. You are not capable of doing both. It's not that you shouldn't, you can't. And when you pick the purpose on this earth as being to make money, then you have automatically chosen that God will not be your first priority. And he said, but when you make God your master, something good happens. Your heart goes to God. Your heart goes to God. Many, many things begin to fall away. So the implication of the therefore is that you just did that. You made a decision, an authentic decision in your heart, to make God, not money, your master. Therefore... I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, drink, or wear. And he's saying, why would you, if God is your master, if he's in charge, why would you worry? Why would you worry about that if God is truly your master? The God of the universe 
is truly your master. He's your source. He's your provider. He's the one who signs your paychecks. If that's true, why would you worry? And so by extension, he's saying, if you're worrying, you ought to check that connection, that lordship factor in your life. Because if he's Lord, if you're focused on Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you got nothing to worry about. you got nothing to worry about. Least of all your food, your water, and your clothes, he says. So that's enough for me. I mean, I, I stop worrying just when I focus back in on God. When I focus back in. When I get my eyes locked on him, Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. When I get my eyes back on Jesus... The worry melts away. Why would I worry? I'm under the covering of Almighty God. So that's enough for me. But then Jesus was generous in this passage, and he goes beyond the therefore. He says, I'm going to give you four reasons why I want to set you free from worry. And the first is because you are substantially more important than the things you typically worry about. You worry about stuff that doesn't matter. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? He's teaching by questions. Rabbis love to do this. Now you've got to think about the answer. Is, is your life not more important than food? Is it? Don't answer too quickly. Is your life more important than food. See, in America, we eat to live. Most countries, they live to eat. No, we got that backwards. We live to eat, eat to live. Karen and I crack up every now and then. We'll be out to dinner with somebody. And uh, part of the conversation almost invariably goes around some other meal we've had at some other restaurant. Where but in America are you sitting down to a meal that's brought to you more than you should ever eat in one setting. And part of the conversation is where we're going to eat next. You know what I'm talking about? Culturally, we are ingrained to think that we live to eat. <laughs> is your life more important than food? Then why do you worry about your food? Is your body more important than clothes, he says. Really? Seriously? Some of all y'all? There's a big sale on at Macy's. <laughs> Is your body more important than clothes? Why do we take time trying to buy the best clothes we can to cover up the body we have? I mean, if I was built like some of you, I'd wear tighter shirts. He's asking a question. Is your, is your life more important than food and your body more important than clothes, yes or no? Then he's saying, I'm your life. I am your life and you are in my body. I've got this. Don't worry about your food and your clothes. I've got this. There's something substantially more important. And when we take, when we take a millisecond to worry about food, worry about clothes, we miss that time in growing in the Lord and our dependence on him. 
that was one reason he wants to set us free. Some, uh, the second is because God has a demonstrated history of taking care of his own stuff. In verse 26, he says, well, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Let me ask you this. When the Israelites were in the wilderness without food, what did God do? Manna from heaven. When the Israelites faced the walls of Jericho without the military capacity to take that city over, what did God do? Brought the walls down. When Elijah was exiled to Kareth Ravine, what did God do? There was a brook of water, and he appointed a raven to carry him food. When David faced Goliath, what did God do? When Jesus stood before 5,000 men and their hungry families with only five loaves and two small fish, what did God do? He fed them. He has a demonstrated history of taking care of his stuff. We are God's stuff. We belong to God, the Bible says. By way of Christ, you're his son, you're his daughter. By way of Jesus Christ, he says, why would you worry? God has a demonstrated history of taking care of his stuff. Sometimes people complain to me that, they, that God is not granting them the financial lifestyle they desire. They want me to show them in the Bible where they can fix this. You know, I know God has given me food and clothes and stuff like that, but I'm not getting the financial life. I'm living here, and I want to live here. And they say, I've been watching some TV lately that says if I say these certain things five times with my head on backwards or something, that God will be obligated to change my financial situation. I have two, two things. First, that is not the promise of this or any other passage. God says, I will give you food. I will give you drink. I will give you clothes. It is not the promise of God to give you a Lexus. Nowhere in the Bible. The other thing that I'd like to ask you, if that's a struggle of yours, where are you getting these ideas about your desired financial lifestyle? Are you getting them by looking at God or looking around? You see, God has appointed some to live here, and God has appointed others to live here. And that's his business. And we are called to live faithfully in, and generously and sacrificially in either of those places. And not to be fretting about where we are on the scale. And we only fret where we are on the scale when we start looking around at what others have, yes? When we look at God, we don't. When do you guys want a new truck? When you see your buddy's new truck, right? Didn't know I needed one till now, right? He says, why are you worrying about that stuff? Well, the third reason, he says, is because worrying isn't productive. In verse 27, who of you by worrying could add a single hour to his life? You're going to worry your way to a longer life? 
You're going to worry your way taller? You're going to worry your way to something good? It's not productive, he said. Worrying and working are two different things. God didn't say, sit back and do nothing. God opens doors for us to walk through and to work. The Bible says, Paul says in Ephesians, each one of us should work with our hands. And he tells us why. So that we'll have something to give to the poor. He said we should work. We're put on this planet to work. Industry is part of the human existence. And it's a good part. But worrying, I mean working and worrying are two different things. Work, go to work. But don't worry about the result. And worrying and problem solving are two different things. God gives us a keen sensibility and a great capacity for reason so that we can look at a problem in front of us and we can sort it out and we can make a plan. That's not worrying about it. That's working the problem. Those are different. What worrying is, is sitting back with this doomsday mentality that something that's just not going to work. It's, it's not going to happen. Something bad is going to... I just know it. And what that person is showing is that they're not looking enough into the face of the Lord who says every time, I've got this. I've got this. Fourth reason Jesus says, I want to set you free from worry is because tomorrow's coming, worry or not. He says this in verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I don't know what these prosperity and positive thinking preachers do with that verse, because what a buzzkill here, right? I mean, <laughs> what's he saying? I mean, is Jesus just being down here or what? No, what he's saying is, you had trouble yesterday. It's part of the human condition. You're facing trouble today, part of the human condition. There will be trouble tomorrow. Don't borrow it into today. Wait till you get there to enjoy it, all right? That's what he's saying. Don't suck trouble in. Wait till you get there. Deal with it then. You know, if you started worrying about tomorrow's trouble today, you would be trying to tackle it with the Christian you are today rather than the Christian you will be tomorrow, which is stronger than the one you are today. Does that make sense? You'll have a whole different set of capacities a week from now or a month from now or a year from now. Why are you worrying about that? You don't even know what you're going to be bringing to the party then. And he said, it's coming. Part of the human condition. We're going to face it. But don't worry about tomorrow. It doesn't change anything. Finally, I think Jesus gives us the key to living a worry-free life in verse 33 of our text. And it's called focus. Focus. Rivet, rivet your attention on God in your life. And watch the worry melt away. No matter what your vocation. No matter who, what station in life you have. No matter what you do for a living. No matter your relational situation. No matter your family. No matter what trials you're facing. Focus on God. And look what happens. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. All these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You say, yeah, but I'm a school teacher. Seek, seek God first, then teach. Yeah, but I'm a bus driver. Seek God first, then drive. I'm a physician. Seek God first, then practice. Seek God first, then 
And he said, you do that, you'll never have anything to worry about. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, be anxious for nothing, which means don't worry about anything, ever. Wow. But it tells you what to do next. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then it says, very next line, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That doesn't sound like worrying to me, does it? It's all about getting our minds on God, keeping the Lord the first priority in our lives. Because it characterizes the relationship then. And you know that God is your Father, and He's saying, I've got this. Relax. I've got this. I had a memory this week of when I was about eight years old and going to the grocery store with my dad. My mom never drove. So whenever she went to the grocery store, Dad had to take her. And every once in a while, when I couldn't think of trouble to get in on my own, I went with him. And I remember going to the market basket in suburban Los Angeles as an eight-year-old and walking through and five kids, you know, four, four brothers and sisters, and seeing them pile all that food in there. That can get a heap, can it? Huh? Because Dad didn't want to go any more than he had to, you know, so let's get her done, right? <laughs> and it was quite a heap. And I, I just remember that. I had a vivid memory of being in that, that grocery store. And, and this thought crossed my mind. Never once in all those trips to the grocery store did I ever say, boy, I sure hope Dad's got enough pay for all this food. Never crossed my mind to think about how Dad was going to pay for that big pile of food. I just knew he had it. I knew he had it. There was nothing for an eight-year-old to worry about. Never missed a meal, because Dad had it. Years ago, one of our kids overheard Karen and I discussing how we were going to pay a medical bill that had come. We must have accidentally talked about it in front of him long enough until he came up to me, and he was five years old, and he said this. He said, hey, Dad, why don't you just write a check on that? Seen us write checks and put them in the envelope before, and the problem was solved, right? Still checks in the checkbook. Just write a check on that. And that's the, that's, that's the relationship between a son and a father. You got this, Dad. This is not an overreaching command of Jesus. This is an amazing invitation because it characterizes the relationship. In Isaiah 26, 3, the Bible says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee, O Lord. God will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on you. The worry falls away, because you trust him. Let me, let me ask you this. In all of your worrying, you worriers, how many of you have ever starved to death? If that's true, there's an amazing resurrection story that comes next, Mike. <laughs> In all of your worrying, how many of you have ever had to go into public naked? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Let me close by giving you something to worry about. 
218 this afternoon, an asteroid about 60 feet wide is going to come dangerously close to the Earth. It's going to pass right over New Zealand. Now, who cares about people in New Zealand, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what they look like. Let me tell you what. If a huge rock 60 feet wide hits this Earth while well, we're already traveling 67,000 miles an hour around the sun, that's a bad day for everybody. Aren't you worried about that? a little bit I mean the scientists are saying it's not going to hit us but what if they're wrong how many of you know that the scientists say that four billion years from now the sun's going to burn out now there's something to worry about hello what if they're wrong what if it hits today what if now that's something to worry about right how many of you are not worried about that? And how many of you are not worried about that, not because of your confidence in the scientists, but because of your confidence in Jesus Christ, where the worst thing that could happen to you today is that you die and go to heaven? That's the worst thing that could happen to you today. Boom! Hello, Lord. I don't want it to hit New Zealand. I want it to hit my house. Hello? Keep your eyes on Him. And if your eyes are not on Him, you've got a lot more to worry about than food and clothes and water. If you have not yet come to the place of inviting Jesus Christ to come into your life as your Savior and as your Lord, you have a lot more to worry about than that. Because Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you have not come to the Father through him, you have not yet been delivered from condemnation into life. And today is your day. Today is your day to finally stop thinking about it and come and give your life to Christ. And ask Jesus Christ to come in and take residence. Not only as Savior for the payment of your sin, but as Lord, the one you look to, and you know He's got it. And if you're stirred by that today, I'm gonna just in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to do a very courageous thing. If you're stirred by that today, and you're a person who's saying, today's the day I'd like to give my life to Christ.